I wish I had had time to pray with each of you individually as a family while we were up here, and obviously we didn't. But if you'd like, and I would like this, so if you'd grant me this favor afterwards, if I could catch up with you in the lobby, I would just love to pray with you as a family, uh, husband and wife, and for your, for your kids too. So, um, wow, that was great, wasn't it? See all those uh, young families up there and uh, to see what God's doing in people's lives, to see what God's doing here at Waterford Community Church. And uh, we're just excited about uh, today, but we're excited about the future. But we're also excited about the past. Because there's a lot of people here that have made a huge um, contribution to what we're enjoying right now. A lot of prayers, a lot of uh, sweat, a lot of service, uh, just a lot of ways that they have been, you have been, a part of the past that is leading to this pretty incredible future. And so we focused a lot on, on the babies here this morning. They're cute, aren't they? Man, I, it just takes me back to when my kids were little and, and when my wife and I were standing on the platform and, and going through a parent-child dedication. It just takes you back. But uh, So we, we celebrate with all of you this morning, but we also celebrate our other generations too. And so I wanted to just, we call it Generation Sunday. You know, families are kind of generational. You're aware of this. If, like if your parents didn't have any kids, you probably won't either. Okay, just something to think about there, but... Uh, but we'd like to honor all of our grandparents here this morning. So some of them actually got some, some uh, you know, some time on, on the platform here this morning, but not all of you did. But if you're here this morning and you are a grandparent, I'd like to ask you to stand if you would. And uh, we just want to recognize you. You don't have to go anywhere. You can just stand where you are. And uh, we want to recognize you and the contributions that you have made to your families, but also to our church here at Waterford. Let's give them a hand, all right? <clears throat> Thanks so much for joining us. You know, the, there's a phrase that we use, and it's this, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. And as you look at your, your parents, you can say, oh, I'm kind of like my mom and dad in this way. And as you look at your kids, you're like, oh, no, they're kind of like me in this way. And there's good and there's bad of that. But we pass on these things from generation to generation. Obviously, we pass on some of our appearances, and as you looked at the, the pictures of the babies up here on the screen, sometimes they're like, wow, you can tell whose kid that is, and, and uh, that's, that's a great thing, but we, we pass on other things too, like personality quirks or interests or speech patterns. You ever seen like a, a father and a kid, and it's like sometimes you're like, which one of those is talking because they kind of talk the same way, and they, they use the same expressions? We pass on traditions. That, that uh, maybe our, were our grandparents or maybe were our parents and they become ours and we pass those on to our kids. We pass on our history and we pass on our heritage as well. And even our Christian heritage, and that's what we're talking about here this morning, I have, I think is probably a pretty unusual thing. Um, all of my grandparents were Christians and to my knowledge, their parents were Christians. In fact, to my, when I was growing up, I never knew a relative that wasn't a, a believer in Jesus Christ. And on either side of my family, and I think that's probably rare, but that's a gift that I was given, and that was part of the heritage. But I want to introduce you this morning uh, to some of, uh, at least to one of my um, grandparents here. And uh, the man sitting right here is my grandpa Smith. His name was Francis Robert Smith, and he hated his name Francis. So he went and legally had it changed to Robert F. Smith. So uh, whether he was Francis growing up, but he was Bob Smith. And that is my grandmother sitting in the chair. And actually sitting on the, next to the fireplace there is my mom. 
And that is taken back in 1949. Now, my grandfather passed away when I was 12 years old. I did not know him very well. He had Parkinson's disease for a long time, and uh, it very much limited him physically. And uh, he lived out of state, and we never got to see a whole lot of him. But I felt like I knew him a little bit because my mom talked about him so much. And uh, she just loved him to death, and I think he was a great dad. And uh, so this is an interesting picture, though, because this is taken of my mom when she was a senior in high school. And this is the living room of the house that they had just built and just moved into. But my grandfather actually designed this house and had it built. And it was out in Glendale, California. And uh, they had, my mom and family moved from Cleveland out to Glendale when she was in fifth or sixth grade. Lived out there for six or seven years and then he ended up moving back to, to Cleveland. But this is a picture of my grandfather and, and um, they have, uh, my aunt was older. She's not in the picture there. But uh, living there in Glendale, California. Now, I don't remember much about my grandfather, but he was um, tall. You can kind of tell that from where he's sitting there. He's about 6'1", so I didn't get any of that. Um, he was uh, the, his high school valedictorian, and uh, he was also played college football. And uh, so a lot of those genes just didn't seem to pass on, I guess. But uh, this is also a picture that I wanted to share with you, too, um, moving on here. This is a picture of my mom as a senior in high school standing in front of that house that she had built. Now, this is on Glendale, California, as I mentioned, which is next to Pasadena, California, next town over, which is where my daughter lives. And I was out there visiting her about a month ago and uh, driving through there, and I saw the sign for Glendale. I was like, oh, that's where my mom grew up. And she always talked about this house that her dad built. And I was like, I wonder where that is, and I wonder if we could figure out where it is. And uh, so I called my sister, and I was like, when did mom like graduate from high school? I wonder if we could call their high, her high school. I wonder if they archive any records and if we could figure out the address to this house. And she's like, I don't know, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. And so the next morning, I get a text from her saying, you're in luck. She said, I found these pictures of mom standing in front of the house and there's the house number. Well, that's great, but we need a street, right? And she said, here's the best part. On the back of that picture right there, it had the actual address. And so this is my mom standing in front of that house in 1949 of September. This is me standing in front of that same house. It looks a little different. It's got some siding there. But the cool thing is the door's the same. Look at that. I thought that was, this is the door that my grandfather picked out and probably opened and shut a thousand times. I knocked on it. They took one look at that face and nobody would answer it. But nobody actually, but it was just like a fun thing to go back and to say, you know what, this is part of my heritage and this is part of my history. And so I had a great time there. It was uh, super windy and cold. My wife was hiding in the car, and I'm out there taking pictures, trying to look in the window. She's like, you can't do that. <laughs> well, nobody answered the door. Why can't I, right? If you don't want me to look in the windows, answer the door. I'm just looking for you. But any, anyhow, I had a great time down there. But we pass on all of these different things. And even my grandfather loved architecture. That's one of the things I've never done, but I always thought it would be so cool is design and build your own house. Maybe someday, I don't know. But one of the things that got passed on in my family was not just some of those loves, but it was values and it was faith. And I mentioned that already. You know, if you go back into medieval times, they used to, uh, oh, there you go. There's a picture. How about that? 
is she stood there in a September of, of nine, September 12th, 1949. I was there on October 12th, uh, 2021. What is that, 70 years later? Something like that, 72 years later, if I can do my, my math there. She probably had no idea standing there that she was ever going to have a kid that looked like me, acted like me, and that one day would chase down her house. And uh, just isn't it kind of crazy to think about all those generations? But some families way back in medieval times used to create these things. They called them coat of arms. And it was supposed to represent your family. And so there was this symbol that you would put on everything. And, and that said, this was the family of whatever. And in that symbol, it was supposed to represent different parts of your story or different values, different things like this. Well, I don't come from, well, on my, on my Grandpa Smith that I just introduced you to him, he was English and actually uh, came from Canada uh, by way, of, or came from England by way of Canada. But my grandfather on the other side, his last name was Wood, obviously, and he was Scottish. And if you're Scottish, you don't have a coat of arms, you have a tartan. And this is actually the Wood family tartan right there. If you see that plaid in Scotland, you know that that's a Wood. And uh, so I've been thinking about maybe getting myself that pattern. And you know what they do with these things, right? They make kilts out of them. And I've been thinking about that. And maybe next time Treat Street rolls around, I'll just wear my kilt. That's really giving everybody a bad visual picture, isn't it? So um, it would look something like this. That's, that's some relative of mine, far removed, who still lives in Scotland and still wears his kilt with pride there, the, the Wood family tartan. But I want to get us to think about this idea of values and how do we pass on values of faith and values just in life and character to our kids and to our grandkids this morning. Because I think that's really what we want to be about. And this is actually something that was happening as you go in the Old Testament. We were looking in the book of Deuteronomy. So I want to encourage you to turn to Deuteronomy again. And we're going to look at some verses here of how God is trying to pass down values to his family, the Israelites. Well, a few years ago, in fact, it's getting to be several years ago, my wife and I were talking about this idea of passing on values and the values we wanted to give our kids. And so we gathered them around the dinner table one night and we said, what are our family values? And we tried to talk through these things that, that they, our kids felt like, uh, had learned from us or had embraced or felt like that we were trying to teach them. And back then, I think when we did this, I had one kid that was in high school, one that was in middle school, and one that was in, in elementary school. So it takes you back a little while ago. But they came up with um, actually six things that they felt like were our family values. And we talked about this among ourselves. The first one was justice. And, and when you talk about the woods, we are a family of justice, and I don't even know what, what the deal is here, but we have like this justice gene in us, where if we see something that's not fair, or somebody's not been treated fairly, or whatever, we're just like, we have to do something about it, and we just kind of drip this justice idea. Loyalty was another one that came up, and uh, I love that actually about my kids, how loyal they are to each other, how loyal they are to our family. Fun was one that came up, and we try to do fun things as a family. We talked about the idea that we do the hard thing, and that was one of the values that we wanted to instill in our kids is like, hey, you know what? You just do the hard thing. Usually the right thing's the hard thing, and if it's hard and it's right, you just go ahead and do that. One of our values was that we don't talk bad about others. And our kids growing up, if they wanted to talk bad about somebody, we just shut that down and said, no, we're not going to do that. And then we talked about having a spiritual passion too, and those were the things that the kids were saying back to us. This is what we feel like you're teaching us. But there was one thing that didn't make the list that I wish had, 
And that's what we want to talk about this morning. That's what we've been talking about here for this last month. And that is this idea of generosity. Generosity. And my question this morning is, how do we pass on this value of generosity to our kids? And we're looking at this passage in Deuteronomy because this is exactly what I believe God was saying to Moses, in a sense, is how do we pass on this value of generosity to the Israelites as my family or as a society? And so this is what God's answer is to this, how we actually can teach the value of generosity. And so we're looking in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15. And just to give you a little bit of background here, the book of Deuteronomy was written to a second generation. The first generation of, of Israelites came out of Egypt. They were supposed to go into the promised land, but they doubted God. And they decided not to go in and do what God said. And God's like, fine, but you're going to wander around in this desert, this wilderness for 40 years. And once they had passed off the scene, the next generation rose up. And God said, okay, I'm going to take you into this promised land. And they went successfully into the promised land. But the book of Deuteronomy is, is God reviewing with his second generation, here's the rules that you're going to live by. Here's the expectations that you're going to have when you go into this promised land. And it's not so that I can be the big bad God and, and, and lord it over you. I'm going to give you these rules and these laws and these instructions so that you can prosper, so that you can do well, so that you can have a great life here in this land that I'm giving you. And so he says here in verse number, or chapter 15, verse number one, and he's giving instructions here of how he's going to teach generosity to his people. Chapter 15, verse number one, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it's to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt from your fellow Israelite over you. So this is pretty straightforward. He's giving this instruction is every seven years, if anybody owes you money, you have to cancel that debt. And we go back and we start over. Now, why were they supposed to cancel these debts? Well, the next verse gives us an idea here. However, their need be no poor people among you. And the reason that God is saying is cancel these debts is because it's going to prevent poverty and people living in extended poverty there in, in what would become Israel. But the idea is that we're going to level the playing field. So the people who have prospered and, and had a lot and they've lent money and, you know, you can expect interest on that money, their, their assets continue to go up while the, the poor are having to borrow and then they're paying interest and theirs are going down. And every seven years, God said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to level the playing field here. We're going to hit the reset button for society. And that kind of goes against our grain, even as individualistic Americans, doesn't it? It's like, well, that's not fair. And God's not really worried about being fair. In fact, nowhere in the Bible is God ever particularly worried about being fair. God's like, but it's right thing to do. And here's the big point, though, from this. 
we need to see others' needs as our responsibility. And we've been talking about this idea of generosity now for several weeks. And we kind of have this thing is when we see the needs of others, that's our opportunity. Well, I can step in and do something here. And God's like, no, 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 no. It's not your opportunity. It's your responsibility. So every seven years, they were forced to look around and go, oh, that person's struggling. Oh, that person's struggling. Oh, that person's struggling. And they were forced to do something about it. And so when we're talking about this idea of creating a value of generosity, even as we want that for our kids and for our families, we look at others' needs then as our responsibility. Because poverty is not just a problem of the poor. It's all of our problems. And we live in a world today that there's a lot of poverty. And you don't have to drive very far down the street to see poverty in our world. And if you, if you don't want to drive down the street, you can, you can flip on the news or, or, or click on something on the internet, and you can see poverty. And it's our responsibility to do something about that. And it's not to do something about it if we can. It's to do something about it because that's what our responsibility is. And we're supposed to do something not because of them or their deservedness. You ever been in that place? Well, I could help, but they really don't deserve it. It's kind of a waste of their money. They kind of squandered that. They weren't being responsible. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter here. God didn't say forgive their debt unless they've been really careless with their money. He just says cancel that debt because others' needs are our responsibility. Well, we keep reading there. Pick up again verse number four. However, there needn't be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. Now, he's not saying there won't be poor people in the land because there always will be poor people. And why will there be poor people? Because we're never going to master this perfectly. We're going to live in societies where people take advantage of, it, of each other. But God's saying here in this verse is it doesn't have to be that way because there's more than enough to go around. And so we keep reading here. He says, if only, verse number five, you will fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised and, will lend, and you will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. And it's a pretty straightforward promise here. It's given to Israel. It's not a promise given to the world in general, but given to Israel. He's saying, if you will practice this principle, canceling debts, taking care of the poor, as a nation, you will enjoy prosperity, financially, politically, in every way, shape, or form. And so lending money and telling people that you don't have to pay us back, we'd look at that and go and say, well, that's not a good way to financial success, or that's not a good way to live well. And what God is saying to the Israelites is, if you'll do this, you'll be just fine. Why? You'll be just fine because I am the God who blesses. And we have what we have because God gives us freely his blessings. And we need to remind ourselves that all that we have is because of God's blessing. Everything we have is a gift. Uh, the, the, the houses that we live in, the cars that we drive, the jobs where we get to go to work, the health that we enjoy, the relationships that we have, all of those things were given to us from a God who gives good gifts and a God of abundance. And we don't need to live in fear of not having enough because God always has enough. God's never run out. 
And God's saying, if you will live with this abundance mindset, you will have enough as a nation. But he's also saying in this idea that generosity invites more of God's blessings. Now, it may not necessarily be financial. And this is not an equation. Well, if I give somebody a dollar, God will give me a dollar over here. That's not what it's saying here. It's saying if I'll care for the poor here, if I'll be tuned into the needs of others, if I'll, if I'll be generous here, God will bless here in some way. It may be relationally. It may be just in success in what you're doing at work. It, it could be any of these things. But generosity is the currency of God's economy. Generosity is the currency of God's economy. And when we are generous, it turns the wheels of God's economy. And we want to be part of that. So it really comes down to this idea. We can't afford not to be generous. Sometimes like, well, I can't, I can't give right now because I can't afford it. I think that's totally wrong. I think from what God teaches us is you have to give. You can't afford not to. You need to be generous. Now, if you're reading here, as we read, we're going to sense a, a change that takes place in, in this uh, passage here. Up to this point, Moses has been giving these instructions. And here, do this, do this, do this. And it almost feels like a bulleted list. But he pauses here, and he develops this idea a little bit more. He doesn't give instructions. He almost gives like a, a motivation. And he gives you kind of the, the heart behind what's being said here. So verse number five, if anyone is poor among you fellow Israelites, in any of the towns of the lands the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. And hard-hearted is the idea of, of resistance or putting up walls. Don't, don't, don't create impenetrable forces here that people can't get to your heart. Instead, people should be able to get to your heart easily. He says, don't be hard-hearted and don't be tight-fisted towards them. That's pretty descriptive, isn't it? Verse number eight, rather be open-handed and freely lend whatever is needed. So instead of living this way, live this way is what he's saying. I'm going to ask Nicole to come up here. If you don't know Nicole, Nicole works with our kids. She's got the week off because other people are downstairs working with that. Come on right up to the table here, Nicole. So this is our leftover candy from Treat Street. We had a great time on Wednesday night. If you were here, it was awesome. If you weren't here, you missed out. I'm sorry, but we had a little bit of candy left over. This is all going to be in the lobby with bags. Take it all home. And if you don't want it, give it to all the kids that come tonight. Okay, but we're going to do a little exercise here. I want you to reach in with both hands and grab as much candy as you can, okay? Okay, now count out how much you got there, okay? How many? 27. I practiced this myself. I came up with 20. She must like candy more than I do. I don't know. Okay. Now what I want you to, okay, we're going to get, well, let's put them all back in the, the bin here, okay? The bowl, not the bin. All right. And I want you to hold your hands. Don't grab my bowl, okay? Well, just hold your hands there, okay? We're going to see how, much, how many pieces of candy we can get in your hand here, okay? Don't let it fall. All right, go ahead. Count that out. See what you got. We'll take those two back.
36. So 27 if we want to grab, 36 if we just have open hands. Thanks, Nicole. Appreciate that. No, I'm not going to. So everybody come up and take a piece. I think this is a great picture of, of a principle that we really need to get from this passage, and it's this. We need to hold on to things loosely. We need to hold on to things loosely. And it goes all the way back to that first verse there when God says, okay, you need to cancel debt. Actually, verse number two in the King James Version, the last phrase there says, it's the year of the Lord's release. We need to live our lives letting go instead of grabbing on. And when it comes to generosity, we need to live our lives like, what can we give? Now, if I had Nicole come up here and close her fist like this, and I said, okay, now let's see how, many, how much candy we can put in your hands now. None. But sometimes we live that way, and it's like we're living, and we don't have enough, and God might be like, well, I can't get anything else in there. Because you won't let it go. And generosity is this idea that we let it go. Now, I want you all to participate in this with me. So I want you to do this to start with, okay? I want you to make a fist with both hands, and I just want you to squeeze that fist and clench it like you're holding on, all right? Okay, nice and tight. Okay, now I want you to let go of that, and then I just want you to hold your hands out like this. Okay. Which feels better? When you got your fist clenched like that, what do you feel? Tension? Okay, can you feel that inter? Yeah, and when you hold your hands like this, like there's a piece that comes with that, and I really think this is what God is saying here, is don't be tight-fisted, be open-handed. And that is really the idea of generosity, is to live with open hands. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking about this whole concept of canceling debts, going back to the beginning, you're like, okay, here's a great plan. Like, year number six, I'm just going to go borrow a bunch of money. Because in year seven, hey, all bets are off, all debts are off, whatever you want to say. Well, God, God sees you coming, okay? But this is what he says in verse number nine, because he actually doesn't address you. He addresses the person who won't lend to you because they see through you. He says this, be careful not to harbor this wicked or literally worthless thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so you do not show... Uh, ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. And he keeps going, though. He said, so, in case you think you don't have to give anything, you still do. You don't have to let anything, you still do. And if you don't, keep reading there, they may appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. So God's saying, well, you think, of oh, six years, I'm not lending anything because I don't want to lose it. And if you don't do that, if you're not living generously by sharing what you have, God says, you'll be guilty of sin, and the courtroom is evidently before God, and that's not the judge that I want to stand before. Interesting, isn't it? He said instead, verse number 10, here's the, the, the key verse of this whole passage, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. If you see somebody who has a need and you can lend to them and they may not be able to pay you back, just go for it and don't worry about it. You need to live with that kind of heart. Sounds like 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Is that what we looked at last week? Give willingly, cheerfully, not of a grudging heart. And this is the undervalue, uh, underlying value of generosity is that it has to be an expression of our hearts. 
And so generosity is a heart issue and not a financial issue. Well, this idea here brings us to a fourth point. And it's this, we don't live by worrying about the score. And most people live this way. Did he pay me back? I don't know. Doesn't matter, though. Uh, Did he return what he borrowed? Doesn't matter. Uh, Did he return the invitation like I asked him? Did did he give me an invitation back? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Did, Did she pick up the tab? It's her turn to pick up the tab. It doesn't matter. Has he returned my call? Doesn't matter. Um, did she say thank you? It, it, it doesn't matter. See, we go through life where we're like, I'll do this, but then I'm expecting something back. And God said, no, 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 we're just going to live to learn to cancel debts. We're going to l- let go of things, and we're not going to worry about the score. And who's the greatest example of this? Jesus Christ who came and gave up his life on a cross for our sins so that we wouldn't have to be punished for them and separated from God eternally. Said Jesus died in our place. And what did he get out of that? Well, maybe he gets our thanks, maybe he gets our worship, but that didn't stop him from doing what he did. And it's a reminder to all of us that we need to live not worrying about what we get back or what the score is. But here's what's kind of crazy about this anyhow. Even if we live this way, this is what God says. Verse number 10. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. If you will learn not to worry about the score, God will take care of the score for you. Now, he may not give you lots of candy or money or whatever. He might give you a job, and that job might go really well, but he will level the score. And so these are the instructions that God's giving to his people for several reasons. He wants to make sure that the poor are taken care of. Verse number 11, there will always be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. There's always going to be poor. That means there's always opportunity. There's always responsibility for us to step up there. And he wants to make sure that the poor are taken care of. He's working to maintain some levels of equality in his in his family there. He's promoting national prosperity, but more than anything, what he's doing is he's creating a cultural value or a family value to be passed on. You know what we do every seven years? We just cancel debts because we're not going to be all about who owes us what. We're going to be about what can we give to the people around us. And so that's the last point here this morning is we need to make giving a habit. We always have the opportunity, so it needs to be part of our lifestyle. It needs to be a life trail that we take. It needs to actually be part of our budget. And where our resources go, if they all go to us, we're going to end up impoverished. Maybe not financially, but we're going to end up impoverished spiritually. We're going to be impoverished in our relationship with God. We're going to be impoverished in our relationships with others. There's a lot of different types of poverty in the world. And when we choose not to be generous, we may choose one of those poverties, like poverty of spirit for us. So I want to encourage us this morning to embrace this value as families, as you raise your kids. How can we teach generosity to our kids? And we're going to finish in just a minute here with four simple things that you can do. 
But I want to, em, us to embrace that as a church, too. And you probably already sense that. If you've been in our church here for the last, I don't know, six, eight months, I mean, we've given backpacks to orphans in Guyana, and we've collected change for the Next Steps Pregnancy Center in, in Pontiac. Uh, we've, been, we've given donations, or actually bought lemonade, but we gave uh, $1,800 to Oakland Hope to feed needy families in our community. Uh, we just gave a ton and way too much candy for the fall festival. Uh, we've made and given cookies to the Grace and teachers and sent notes with them. Um, and there's more stuff, and if you checked out your bulletin, you can be a part of. Uh, we, are, we partner with New Springfield Church and Food Distribution. We need to come up with 25 turkeys by uh, November 18th. Bring them on in here. We'll put them in the freezer, but they'll be going into our community. So if you want to do that, there are cards that you can pick up at the information counter. Each one of those cards represents one turkey. That's how we keep track of how many turkeys that we're going to be giving out. It's a way to be generous. Missionary Christmas is coming. In fact, next Sunday we kick that off with our um, global Christmas lunch. That's another way for you to be generous. The kids, uh, Faith Mountain, uh, the, Nicole's leading, um, they are doing shoeboxes with Operation Christmas Child for Christmas. And it's another opportunity to give. And we just keep asking you to give, 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 give. Why? Because generosity is the currency of God's economy. And when you look at this, God says, if you will be open-handed with others, I will be open-handed with you. And we want to be a generous church. And even as a church, as we're doing these things, it's a way for you to bring your families on board as well. So four things here that you can do to teach your family or to teach yourself generosity. First of all, live it or model it. A lot of what I know about generosity, I learned from my parents. My dad was a very generous person. My dad grew up in poverty in the Great Depression. And uh, I know as a kid lived days where they didn't know if they'd have enough food to eat that day. And as a result, anytime he saw anybody who needed anything, they got it. In fact, um, all three of us kids had people living in our house. Uh, my brother's friend Leo lived with us for a summer. My sister's friend Rhonda lived with us her whole senior year. And I had a foster brother who moved in in the middle of my junior year and, and moved out when he, a year after he graduated from college. So for seven years, lived in our house free of charge, ate at our table, lived, drove our cars, was insured by my parents, all of that stuff. Live generosity. And I've shared this before, but one of the most um, meaningful Christmases ever is the day that my dad, Christmas Eve, my dad found out there was a family in our community that was having no Christmas. And so he packed all of us up into a car, took us to the store and said, okay, here's the kid, here's the ages, go buy him presents. Live it out, model generosity. Secondly, teach it. Talk about it as a value. Sit around the table and say, hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. And hey, kids, are you seeing any needs even at school or whatever? Can we do something about that? Look out for others, insist on compassion, talk about the less fortunate and what can be done. Maybe you even want to write out your family values like we did and include generosity as part of that. Teach generosity. Thirdly, celebrate it. When you see someone being generous, point it out to your kids. Hey, look what that person did. When you hear a story, share that story. If somebody is generous with you, be sure to acknowledge it. Thank you notes are important, right? Because they are the backside of generosity. When one of your kids is generous, praise them about that. But celebrate generosity. And then finally, encourage it. Encourage your kids to be generous. 
When my kids went to church when they were little, guess what they got to take with them? They took their offering with them. Why? Because I wanted them to be generous. And sometimes it was from their allowance, and sometimes it's just from my pocket. But I wanted them to have that value and encourage that in your kids. Back when uh, Lindsay was in, I don't know, middle school, 8th, ninth, 10th grade, she's like, I don't want any Christmas presents this year because I have too much, and, and there are people in the world who don't have enough. So what Lindsay got for Christmas that year is she got a sponsorship for a child with compassion. And we're like, okay, Lindsay, here's the deal. We'll sponsor this child in your name. You can keep correspondence going with this child. But we, we love that about you, so we'll celebrate that. But we want to encourage that too. Just even a simple thing, I know my kids are adults now. Um, a couple of weeks ago, there was the Global 5K, which is a fundraiser for Uganda Christian University, which is where Lindsay went for her uh, study abroad program. But uh, I told my kids, it's a 5K, you can run it, you can walk it, you can hike it, you can bike it, you can do whatever you want. It's just a fundraiser for this college. But I, I emailed all my kids and said, if you want to enter this, I'll cover your entrance fee so that we can do this. And uh, on October, I don't know what it was, um, 9th, I think it was, um, a Saturday, Allie, we were out visiting Allie, Allie and Kelly and I, we all hiked our, our three miles up some mountain because I want to encourage this even in my adult kids and let them be part of your generosity. We've been talking about this idea of generous city for the last four weeks. Why? Because this is one of the greatest life trails that you can take. It will open up your life to you. It will let you live in this abundance. And I'm not talking about financial abundance because you know what? You can give and the car can still break down the next week. There's no guarantees on that. But what I'm saying is if we will live in this idea of generosity, God says, okay, if you will open up your hands, yeah, I can fill them. And so here's the question this morning. Usually when we talk about trails, we talk about feet. Because you walk them. But when we're talking about this trail, this life trail this morning, we're talking about hands. You can live tight-fisted. Nobody's getting this from me. Or you can live open-handed. It's your choice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the families that are represented here. And we pray that you would just help each parent, each grandparent, as, as we talk about biblical values, help them as they try to teach and implement them in their families. But for each of us, God, help us to be, be generous because that's what your heart is. Cancel debts. Don't live so attached to money and to things and all this stuff that we think is so important. God, please deliver us from that. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. First question is, if you've come this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he gave up himself, came to this earth, became a man, went to the cross, died on that cross, was tortured horribly, suffered a painful, gruesome death. Why? For you in his generosity. That's how much he loved you, and he wants to give you this generous life, too, if you'll just invite him into your story, into your heart, into your life. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. But you can just say a simple prayer, simple conversation, you and God, inviting him into your life to forgive you for your sins and to give you eternal life and forgiveness. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you are following Jesus already. How are you doing with this idea of generosity? Are you living tight-fisted? Are you living open-handed? 
And what step will you identify? What step will you commit to where you sit this morning and say, okay, I'm going to be generous. I will do this. What step will you take? Will you commit to that before God? God, thank you for all that you've given to us. Help us live willing to give to others. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here this morning for our Generations Day. we got some big things coming up. Let me just mention them real quickly. Next week is our global Christmas lunch. In the lobby, there's a table against kind of the, the back wall here uh, for recipes. Make one of those recipes. They're from different countries where we have missionaries. They've sent the recipes in. Make one of those and bring it back, but pick one of those up on the way out. We're going to have a blast next Sunday afternoon after church. Then two weeks from today, we have College Sunday, and uh, three uh, InterVarsity reps will be joining us. We'll be having a great discussion about Gen Z. Uh, the millennials, they're already past the scene now. When we're talking about college. We're into Gen Z. And then thirdly, on November 21st, we'll be celebrating our day of thanks with New Springfield Church again. That's going to be awesome. Pastor Mark, I think, is up here because he's grabbing this because it's going to the lobby because uh, you could take it home and there are bags out there, literally. Get rid of this candy, pass it out tonight, whatever. We're going to help you be generous with the neighbor kids, all right? Would you stand with me? And if any of, the, any of you uh, young couples with, with babies here, I'd love to pray with you if you give me that opportunity. Thanks again for joining us. You're dismissed. Have a great day.